Hi, everyone. I'm Deputy Editor Lorraine Lawson, and welcome to The Buzz from Bank Automation News, where we explore how automation and emerging technology is transforming the banking industry. This is our weekly wrap for what's happening in the industry this week. And before I begin, I'd like to give a big thanks to band sponsors and advertisers, Leah and Volante. Thank you so much for your support. I'm pleased to be joined by Associate Editors Aaron Marsh and Elijah Poindexter. It is December 10th, 2021, and here are the biggest news items from our editorial team this past week. First of all, robotic process automation UiPath vendor, uh, <laughs> robotic process automation vendor UiPath reports 50% revenue growth, bringing its revenue to $220.8 million. The New York company highlighted bank uses in its earnings call. And in a pilot this week, announced this week, State Street and Vanguard successfully ran a foreign exchange trade forward contract on a blockchain, leveraging smart contracts to automate collateral management. In related news, the banks of France and Swiss National Bank successfully tried uh, foreign exchange transactions using digital currencies, saying the experiment provided them with tremendous insight into this novel technology. And this week, a ban exclusive, an inside look at how Brazil's largest bank dealt with the government mandate to implement Bitcoin payments. So let's start with the UiPath news, Elijah. Of course, UiPath is one of the largest players in the RPA space. What was new in their earnings call as far as banks are concerned? Yeah, so, you know, we start off with UiPath uh, for good reason. Uh, you know, UiPath, even uh, before they went public earlier this year, uh, they've sort of assumed this ubiquitous status in the enterprise uh, automation sector. You know, everywhere you look, you're going to see UiPath. You check the news or press release wire, you know, it seems like they're everywhere. Uh, you know, and if you take a deep dive into what movers and shakers in the, you know, automation and fintech industry are doing as well, you'll find UiPath there too. You know, their fingers are in a lot of pies, uh, so to speak. And this was certainly reflected uh, in their earnings call this week. Uh, they had a very, very solid Q3, uh, you know, with especially their revenue. Their revenue grew uh, 50% year over year to $220.8 million. Uh, and they also discussed their new cloud-native uh, on-premise solution. Uh, and they also announced a range of new partnerships with everybody from Snowflake to, you know, little micro automation analytic providers. So super exciting on that end. Uh, but I think some real value, uh, you know, in terms of understanding what UiPath can do, uh, can be found in their work with banks, uh, two banks specifically, uh, HANA Bank in South Korea and IsBank in uh, Turkey. They were mentioned in their earnings call and report uh, for their use of UiPath tech. Uh, they, you know, chatbots, RPA, process mining, et cetera, et cetera. They were all in the mix, uh, and they saved 2 million working hours in the process. So, and that's just a tidbit, you know, but I think it's good to go through these types of earning calls and stuff and see, you know, not just how the RPA and enterprise automation stuff works, in terms of top-level, you know, tech appliance, but, you know, for boots-on-the-ground stuff as well. Because this automation stuff, there is definitely an end to the means. Uh, it's so, so tangible, and I think that a lot of people can kind of get it misconstrued a little bit and think that it only applies to, you know, top-level stuff and that they, they'll never see a benefit from it. But you certainly, I think, will uh, coming down the pipeline, uh, and UiPath highlighted that, so I think it's really cool. Yeah, in their investor relations uh, presentation, they talked a little bit about their land and expand approach. That's a common strategy that tech companies ploy, deploy, but one of the ways they do it is they land maybe in the IT department. IT is figuring out how to use them, but then they have a citizens developer program, and so they'll they'll help train people uh, to deploy their bots, and then it starts to infiltrate the enterprise and expand. So I think that they're planning on a lot of growth in that regard. Um, 
noted the report did note that they had 2,850 customers who have adopted their cloud-based solution since it's launched in uh, 2019. But it's interesting to note that they this year launched their first on-premise solution, which is cloud-native, but is for on-premise or um, private clouds. So it, it looks like, you know, there are people out there maybe who don't want to be on the cloud with every process. And, you know, I, I think they know there's room for expansion in the space. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Another interesting thing I noted from their presentation was that they said they would opportunistically pursue mergers and acquisitions, which raises the question, is this area ripe for some consolidation? Yeah. Any thoughts? Uh, big time. Big time. Uh, I think something you're going to see in this space moving forward is that a lot of people or, you know, by people, I mean companies who right now are forward thinking in five years could be considered dinosaurs. And this is in terms of maybe their sort of startup level thinking where they maybe don't want to expand. They don't want to be acquired. They don't want to make those, you know, sort of top level business moves. Uh, and that's something also that uh, Goldman Sachs chairman David Solomon mentioned earlier this week uh, on Squawk Box is that, um with these types of fintechs and stuff, it's not just about what they can provide right now. It's about what they can provide and how they can, you know, act on the business end of things moving forward. Uh, that will really matter for their long-term profitability, uh, viability, and money-making, uh, you know, how they make money. Uh, and UiPath, certainly, again, there's a reason why they are so ubiquitous in the space. You know, they want to land, they want to expand, uh, and they want to get out there. So, again, super exciting. Yeah, and they do have interesting use cases. I, another use case they noted that I thought might have implications for banking was uh, an insurance use case where they were able to handle the amount of monthly claims they processed five times the regular amounts. Basically, a four-person team working with bots was able to handle the same amount of productivity of a team of 20. Um, so it was interesting to me that Wall Street responded sort of negatively to their earnings because I sort yeah. of thought they I thought they sort of proved their case for expansion, but we'll see. Uh, speaking of productivity, a cumbersome process in finance is collateral management between counterparties and trade. This week, State Street announced it had successfully ran a hundred thousand dollar foreign exchange trade forward contract on a blockchain leveraging smart contracts to automate collateral management between itself and financial services firm Vanguard. This is using Assembly, Symbiot's distributed ledger technology. And what struck me about that conversation was actually I talked with Nicole Olson, who is State Street's head of digital State Street. And she said, she's the vice president there, and said the technology was easy to use, and you just accessed it through a simple user interface. So it's very common, very much like using other kinds of databases. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Does anybody have any thoughts on that? Jeez, I don't know, Lorraine. I think you said it. You <laughs> <laughs> covered it. Oh, I covered it. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a very news-oriented thing. I think um, this is a very manual process to settle lateral. Basically what happens most of the time, or a lot of the time, is that the two groups don't agree on how much money they owe. And so they were able to agree to what the process would be and then encode the process in the smart contracts. And the smart contract can automatically then generate, like, hey, Vanguard, you owe an extra you know, $5,000 or State Street, you owe an extra $3,000. They can just, it can just trigger that transfer of money. And so there's no more 
departments calling each other on the phone, opening databases and, and legal contracts and bickering over like who's right here. So that's a huge automation um, that they have created there that I think we'll see ripples across the financial sector as they start to build that out and make that available to other financial institutions. Speaking you know, Lorraine, of, yes. Well, I was just going to say, you know, I, I think we're going to see more of this. Some of these like what, what have become these very dated and manual, um, sometimes error prone and onerous processes in banking. I think we're going to see a lot of that attacked with automation in the coming year. I've been hearing this from a few different directions. Um, one example was um, Easy Ops. I had a conversation with that company, and uh, you know, and we we're looking at like spreadsheet type of you know business um, management, and and that these things that they've sort of continued to exist and they've become quite archaic, um, and they're a big time drain. They're a big um, drain on on the uh, the employees and and their use, their engagement there, and it's just not a very good use of um, resources. So I think just like you're seeing at State Street. Um, that this is going to be a big focus going forward. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fun to watch what blockchain can offer um, in terms of automation and banks. Uh, speaking of blockchain, we did a deep dive on Banco Agricola's implementation of Bitcoin for payments and the technology behind it. So what did they say? Was it easy to implement Bitcoin or how did they go about that? Uh, well, it's a, it's a fascinating Fascinating use case. Um, and, and I think before I say anything, we should really call out um, Banco Agricola and Technicist, the team at Technicist um, as well, uh, for very graciously um, including us in, the, in this story. Um, it, was, it was definitely an honor to, to have that opportunity. But um, what's interesting here is that you have so many banks, I think, in the, in the United States um, that are sort of looking at cryptocurrency, Bitcoin probably being a prominent um, leader in that in that regard, um, and and they're and they're looking at what they can do to get involved with with cryptocurrency. You know, what what do you, how can we get involved and should we should we? Um, so Banco Agricola's position here was a little different. They had to, um, you know, the country, you know, El Salvador. In I, I think it was announced like June fifth, and then maybe made a law June seventh. That you know, Bitcoin was going to become um, legal tender. This was going to be a, you know a, an accepted currency with the main currency still being the U.S. dollar. Um, so they had you know, so Banco Agricola is the largest bank in the country, um, and they kind of had to look at implementation within three months. So was it difficult? Um, difficult enough that they spent two of those three months just consulting about it. They really looked at the situation. And, and what they were going to need to do. And keep in mind, you've got a nation that is about six and a half million people. Okay, so roughly like uh, like one fiftieth the size of the United States. It's a it, relatively small nation, and seventy percent of those people are unbanked. So you know, in terms of when we have these, the, you know, we look at um, people's difficulties and lack of understanding with cryptocurrency here. You can only imagine where you've got a population that is seventy percent unbanked. You know, what kind of digital literacy do they have in terms of like, you know, uh, now going moving to Bitcoin as a payment? So um, I think Banco Agricola was very um, uh, deliberate in its approach. Um, and they and they basically decided to move to accept Bitcoin as a payment um, for like loans, like payday loans and credit card payments. 
So we're going to accept that as a payment. And the way that they set it up, um, they actually have no position in Bitcoin. Um, they, you know, the customers of Banco Agricola can make a payment in, into those accounts um, in Bitcoin, but it immediately is converted to U.S. dollars. So Banco Agricola just receives U.S. dollars for those payments. Um, you know, we got to hear about the uh, just the, I'll, I'll let people read the article. I'll let them, I don't want to give away everything. Yeah. But um, but um, yes, they had to set up, you know, the Technosys is, is a large part of the digital foundation for the, you know, the um, that the digital foundation that is used to accept these payments and the digital banking at Banco Agricola. They had to set had to get a, a cryptocurrency partner um, and uh, and, you know, and basically how these payments were going to work. Uh, so there are several players involved, um, but this is how they set it up. And, um, you know, and this is this is how I, I guess now several months in the uh, in the running. So it's interesting. They sort of partnered their way to a solution, which I think, you know, maybe uh, people don't understand is an option, but it is. There are lots of companies out there that banks can partner with to launch Bitcoin. Um, I'm sorry, I apologize. I thought they were in Brazil, but they're in El Salvador and their president has really been pushing Bitcoin. So it's been very interesting. I believe he's speaking at a conference on Bitcoin in Florida this year, um, actually. But uh, that's... Any idea why they're pushing Bitcoin? Did they say why this is such a big push for El Salvador? Well, it's a bold move. They're the first, you know, El Salvador is the the first nation to actually move to Bitcoin as like a, a national currency, as legal tender. It's a bold move, and I think it's if you again, if you you look at the the country of El Salvador, they've got some economic challenges. And part of the goal in moving to, to Bitcoin, as I understand it, is to reach for greater financial inclusion. Um, so it's it's like, OK, well, um, again, maybe thinking that some of this difficult to reach population is going to get involved if we move to a cryptocurrency um, and we can educate them on its use um, and, and the technology that is behind it. Um, maybe we can include but that's that's a big part of the move. Is is financial inclusion? I think that's why that's where it was um, first announced. The uh, the Salvadoran president, I think it was at a like a global Bitcoin conference on June fifth. So um, so yes, they, they I mean it is a bold move, but I think they need bold solutions um, for some of the economic challenges that they have. Yeah, they have gotten some press for this. Um, I was just reading in Foreign Policy that uh, the headline is Bitcoin failed in El Salvador. The president says the answer is more Bitcoin. So now that it's a legal currency there, I guess we'll see how it plays out. Okay, so here's a look ahead at stories we're working on in the coming week. Uh, we will be looking at how Jack Henry is expanding its digital banking partners to offer out more functionality for banks. And also we'll be doing a feature on IT spending in the coming year. Anybody else want to contribute? What are you working on this week, Elijah? Uh, on Monday, so I'm going to, going to go ahead and post a super exciting conversation I had uh, with Naftali Harris, who is the co-founder and CEO of Centrelink, and they provide ID verification and anti-fraud measures for fintechs, financial institutions, and everything in between. Uh, this conversation was super fun, uh, about as fun as a conversation about fintech predictions and countering fraud could be, but it was indeed fun. Uh, and an insight I will share, I don't want to spoil anything, but an insight I'll share 
uh, from Naftali Harris is that, you know, 2020, moving into 2021, I mean, this was the biggest year for fraud ever. You just look at the PPP loan side of it, not even going into how uh, stuff like cryptocurrency uh, and, and all that and fintech stuff, how that can be leveraged into fraud. Just looking at the PPP side, this has been the, the biggest year, year and a half, uh, fiscal year, I guess you'd call it, uh, for fraud ever. Uh, and it looks to be continuing, you know, unfortunately. So uh, a lot of good insights there, and I'm super excited to get back into the nitty-gritty of it and uh, share it with everybody. Aaron, what are you working on for next week? Yeah, Lorraine, let me tell you, there are a lot of things in the pipeline. So like, it's been that things are hopping. But in terms of what's coming, like, uh, you know, soon, I think next week, um, first I may have a, a look at – multi-cloud networking, and specifically what financial institutions are doing in, in moves toward multi-cloud networking. And this might be, you know, that they have multiple cloud-based solutions and they're bringing these things on, maybe in, in like a modular sense or, you know, core banking solutions. But they're, they're ending up in these, in these multi-cloud uh, networking situations. Are they ready for it? Spoiler alert, they are not. So <laughs> I'm going to say, so we're going to take a look at that um, uh, we have, you know, there's a study involved, and then we got uh, a number of people to sort of weigh in and share their thoughts. So there's um, there's some really interesting stuff there. And then echoing what Elijah is talking about, um, I've got to look at uh, artificial intelligence in identity verification and anti-fraud efforts. And we sort of look at how um, how AI can boost efforts in that regard, and, and there's a big need to, first of all. Um, but we're going to also kind of bring some others and in, in, in have them weigh in on that and see if maybe we'll see some advancements in, in that uh, going forward, too. So that is that's just two things that are on the immediate front. And then there's a whole lot coming. <laughs> well, that's been a big conversation this year is how AI can help with risk. And, um, you know, a lot of people have found success with that. So I look forward to hearing what you all have found out about that. Thank you so much for joining us for the weekly wrap on the buzz. Don't forget to attend our Big Automation Summit, which is in March uh, 1st through 2nd in Charlotte, North Carolina. You can learn more about the Bank Automation Summit at bankautomationsummit.com. For more podcast content, check out bankautomationnews.com and search the buzz from Bank Automation News on iTunes and Spotify. 